Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. And this is the Mill Creek View podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. You just heard a little bit from special guest Billy Falcon. We'll hear a lot more soon. Welcome to our People in the News, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Billy Falcone was born July 13th, 1955, Valley Stream, New York signed a major label record deal with United Artists Records in late 1970s. His debut album was released in 1978, entitled Billy Falcon's Burning Rose, was followed up in 1979 with simply titled Billy Falcon. We are living in wild times, good, bad, or indifferent. I believe this is the greatest time in the history of the planet to be alive, Billy says at billyfalcon.com. That's billyfalcon.com. Ephesians 6.12 has never been so true, he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He quotes, as an artist uses color, Falcon uses words and music to convey life's beauty and fragility and always the hope. Over his career, Billy's albums have each remained true to his hallmark of Beautifully crafted songs with lyrics that move the listener to laugh, cry, think, remember. We'll do that with him today to remember his near 50-year career. Billy has also co-written over 50 songs recorded by John Bon Jovi, who has sold over 4 million albums. While Billy continues to write, perform, record, and produce records, Billy's primary focus is on reaching individual people with the inspiration of God's Word, which he does primarily through his Nashville home fellowship, Little Church. Hi, Billy. How are you today? I'm good, Steve. Um, John would be very upset with you. He sold he would. 100 million records. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> what did I say, four? What that was really bad, Steve. Just disappeared. <laughs> it was just four that you were on. I don't know. I don't know where the no, four number came from. Records, but... But more, yeah, it's a lot more than that. Thank you. All right. Well, tell him I'm sorry, and when he comes on the show, so I'll, I'll, I'll pretend like I didn't do that. I never make mistakes on the show, Billy. It's a perfect show. Um, (laughs) How are you today? I'm good. It it is not snowing behind you for those in Middle Tennessee who are wondering. Yeah, I switched that out. For some reason, Zoom just goes into my my file here and picks that one for some reason. I don't know. Yes, not a perfect medium yet. Um, So tell us how you got to Nashville. You're a New Jersey guy. Oh, how did I get here? In a truck. Okay. Did it break down along the way or no? Tell us, tell us the real story. (laughs) No, a truck. I drove a truck down here. I, I literally, uh, my, my, um, my wife had passed away, um, leaving me with a three-year-old baby, around three-year-old baby. I don't keep track of the time so good. And, uh, leaving us kind of broken and, and, uh, trying to figure it out. I was a, a believer at the time. I was teaching the Bible in New York city, uh, with my wife living in a little studio apartment and Rosie was born there. And uh, 
and we'd teach the Bible. We'd sit, we'd have a, one, what we had was a queen-sized bed and a chair maybe, and people would sit on the floor. So we had a little home fellowship in Manhattan. And uh, we moved out for more room, moved to Jersey. My wife got sick in New Jersey and uh, three years later was gone. Um, I was uh, completely, um, I didn't know who I was anymore. I was still a believer, never blamed God. I would never blame God. He doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy does. Um, God gave us free will, and uh, we do what we choose with it. Anyway, um, so I, I, I wasn't angry with God. I, I didn't blame God. I just don't know who I was anymore and what he did anymore. Um, so I was trying to figure it out and raise my baby, and I was writing songs, and I uh, I was pretty much catatonic other than that. I couldn't lick a stamp and put it in the mailbox. And thank God I had uh, family around here and there that would help out. Um, and I then, I guess I got a call from a friend, a dear friend of mine here. I had a couple of friends in Nashville. And they, they had known, they used to live up by me uh, in, in uh, New York when we lived in New York. And um, they thought uh, it'd be a good idea for me to come down to Nashville. They knew my situation. Um, so my folks agreed to watch my baby <laughs> and I came and visited here. And when I came here, I felt like I, I found my home. Um, and I thought, wow, if I could figure out a way to move my baby down here, uh, it would be ideal because I could, it would be easier to raise her here and, and be somewhat in the music business again. I had already made three records at that point when my wife passed away. Um, for major labels, and I was in between. When she got sick, everything went away. And uh, so I, it was, uh, I didn't know I was going to be able, I didn't think I was going to be able to do anything uh, in the business again, actually. Uh, I thought nothing good could ever happen again. Hmm. So how does a songwriter do that when, when you got to raise a little girl and come to a strange town, I guess? I mean, was there something magical about Nashville that, that was successful, that made you able to bring her here and live a life uh, happily ever after? No, no. I visited. Uh, my, my parents agreed, not agreed. They, they'd do anything for me, and, and they were amazing folks. And uh, they took my daughter uh, for a summer, and I came here for a whole summer. Sweet friends of my, mine put me up in their basement for a whole summer. Who could put up with that? Sweet, sweet friends. And uh, during that summer, miracles happened. Uh, while I was running around here trying to figure out how to be a, a, a salesman to, to sell music, I had never been much of a businessman. I, I'm, I'm a songwriter and a singer. Um, the worst part of what I do is how I uh, deliver it. I don't, uh, I'm not a businessman. I'm not a mover and a shaker. Uh, I'm an artist of sorts. Um, and uh, but when I came down here knowing that I was fighting for my life and my baby's life, I became a mover and a shaker. I started banging on every door. I started uh, walking into cold calling, uh, walking into record companies and these weird little businesses on Music Row, some of them. They all, they're all record companies, but they're all kind of shady. A lot of them are shady. And uh, I would just walk in and kind of flirt with the secretary to get to see the boss. I'd take out my guitar, I'd sing a song, and she'd bring me into a boss, and I'd get all these promises. And over the whole summer, I had all these promises. Anyway, uh, eventually miracles happened and I was able to um, move down here because I had no money. There's no way I was moving anywhere. Um, and did, so it, did of, it increase your faith in Jesus? When did Jesus enter your life and, and, and make all this happen? Well, like I said, I was teaching the Bible in, in Manhattan um, uh, when I was 28, 29 um, with my wife. And... Uh, 
like I said, we moved out. She got sick. Uh, I wasn't obviously teaching the Bible anymore. I wasn't doing anything anymore when she passed away. I was just writing songs and taking care of my daughter. So Jesus never went away. God is always there. Um, so you never lost your I faith. I was disenfranchised. I was, I was, if I was, if your, if your life seemingly is on a timeline, you know, you're moving in, in a, with a certain age group of people and, and your peers, you're moving in, in a certain direction and something like that happened to me. It felt like I was riding on a train with, uh, you know, my friends, my family, people, my age, uh, my wife, my baby, and, uh, somehow the train broke and threw me and my baby off the train. And I had no idea who I was, where I was, where I fit in anymore. Um, cause everybody had the little families and they were continuing and my mind was just interrupted. And, uh, so I was kind of broken. It, if life is a clock, it felt like my clock got broken. And you never lost um, your faith. I didn't lose my faith. I never. just didn't know anymore. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't know anymore. And, and as, I really thought his, I probably told you this already, but I felt like, I felt like nothing good could ever happen again because before she passed away, I was sure she wasn't going anywhere. I used to tell her that I used to annoy her by telling her, don't worry, honey, it's going to be okay. No way. I, I had such a charmed existence growing up. I never saw the inside of a hospital. Um, Nobody in my family got sick. Uh, my mom and dad lived to be, my dad was 101. My mom was 95. Um, um, they weren't then, but they just, they passed recently in the last 10 years. Um, so for me, this should never happen. You know, I had this thought that bad things just don't happen to me because a God takes care of me. And I didn't think he stopped taking care of me. It just took me by surprise that we lost that battle. Um, so I didn't lose faith. I just was confused and broken. Um, and despite my confused brokenness, I never, ever, ever blamed God. And anybody who blames God is stepping on the hose of their only salvation and the only place their help can come from. And it's not because he said, well, you, you're mad at me. I'm not going to bless you. No, it's because we are free will human beings. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wants to bless us. Half the time, most of the time, I think we just got to get out of the way and let him. Um, and it takes faith. You remember Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, I don't think he ever healed anybody without saying your faith has made you whole. Maybe Lazarus, because Lazarus was dead. But every time he healed somebody, and everybody, every time the apostles went on to heal somebody, they would say your faith has made you whole. Your faith in the name of Jesus Christ has made you whole. So we have a part in it. We're in the game here. God doesn't just go puff this. He doesn't control things as far as I know. Um, I know a lot of Christians believe God is just moving us around like puppets. I don't believe he's a God like that. Otherwise, the world would be in much better shape if Christians yeah. behaved like Christians should because God was... I'm convinced that he wept for Lazarus because he brought him back out of heaven where he would have been happily ever after as opposed to what he had to do just to prove himself. But, you know, we can talk about biblical stuff all day long because yeah, yeah, you yeah. Are, are are literally a minister on a daily basis. Um, so when did John Bon Jovi get into your life? Well, it was before I had come here. A hundred millions plus sales guy. <laughs> <laughs> it really is much more than that now. It was a hundred sure. million 15 years ago. I'm sure. Is that crazy? Um, uh, that's a long story. You know most of it. I'll try to keep it short. Um, I was, uh, when I was 
kind of at in 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 the darkness of my life where I really believed nothing good would ever happen again. And then, I, um, but there was this single, like you say, you lost faith. Not really, because I had this single ray of hope. I, I didn't know who God was anymore. Is what it was. It wasn't that I lost faith. I didn't. I didn't know who I was and who He was anymore. I was confused. But <clears throat> throughout the whole dark period there, where I felt like I was kind of being buried alive, um, there was like this piercing laser shaft of light saying he would not leave me and my daughter in this brokenness um despite my kind of feeling that these songs i was writing no one was ever going to hear them i was making i was writing songs i was faithful to that i was faithful to try to do my best to love and take care of my daughter and to continue to work it's all i knew how to do was write songs and uh but in my heart i thought no one was ever going to hear these songs though i i knew they were the best things i'd ever written because when my wife passed away, uh, I believe if you're a songwriter or if you're anything and you, you do it well, you, or, or to do it well, you have to have a gift. You, you have, to have, have to have a gift from the God of the universe or you have to have a gift from his enemy. And his enemy does give gifts, let's face it. Um, I'd rather have a gift from God. <laughs> yeah, for and, sure. Um, and he gives gifts for us to give away. Um, so when my wife passed away, uh, the gift I had changed. Um, suddenly the words I wrote made people cry or laugh or think a better thought as opposed to made them think that I was really something. And maybe they thought I was something too, but the focus was not necessarily me. And I wasn't necessarily just singing about girls anymore. Then there's nothing wrong with singing about girls. They're the greatest thing on the planet. Um, so I had these songs and uh, I'm up in my... Uh, I'm up in my bedroom in, in Long Island where I had moved my daughter to this house that my father had that uh, they didn't live in. They, would, they were living in Florida and they'd come back in the summer and stay in this house in Long Island. And uh, so I'm taking care of my baby in this house and, and um, um, she's out in front of the house on a, one of those big wheels going up and down the, the, the sidewalk with one of her cousins. And I could hear the wheels and I was recording upstairs and it's getting on the recording. And um, I'm recording one of these songs that I'm writing. And um, I, the phone rings. I answer it. It's a guy who I used to be in, who used to be in my band, a guitar player from my band. And he said he ran into a friend of his on the street um, that he hadn't seen since high school. And they started sharing notes about what they've been doing over the years. And this guy said, my, my buddy says, yeah, I play guitar for Billy Falcon. And the guy goes, oh, wow, my boss is a good, uh, loves that guy. And uh, my, my, my friend says, uh, my ex-guitar player says, uh, who's your boss? And he says, John Bon Jovi. And he goes, oh. So they make a plan to get together and have a drink or something, and they part company. But the guy who works for John Bon Jovi goes home to his boss and says, hey, I ran into a, my old friend who plays guitar for that guy, Billy Falcon, that you like. And John goes into his closet. Um, I find that later. John goes into his closet and takes out my three... 12-inch uh, major label records and starts listening to them in the house. Um, at that point, he tells uh, his co-worker, the guy who works for him, call your friend and find out what happened to Billy Falcon uh, and does he have any music I can hear. Because it had been years since I'd done everything, anything because of my wife passing away. It was a five-year period of time that that all took place. I kind of disappeared. 
And um, lo and behold, I get this call. Bon Jovi's my biggest fan, and do I have anything he can hear? <laughs> and that's how that started, Steve. That's amazing. Well, like Steve Jobs said, these overnight successes take a very long time. You had the two albums, and now it sounds like three on the radio that made you famous. But as a business, it didn't pay too well. Um, fame without the fortune, so to speak. Uh, but you didn't give up. So how did uh, Burning Rose and Billy Falcon ultimately uh, work into your next 40 years of, of success? Well, well, all that, uh, that happened before. That's I met my wife, Rose's mom, during the time of the Burning Rose stuff, the first records I made, the first three records I made, uh, stuff right. you haven't heard. I was in, and I was like 19 years old, and it was 78 or 9, the first one came out. And uh, it did receive all this acclaim, and it was all over the radio. I thought, wow, that was easy. And then some really uh, strange things happened and, and clutched, uh, you know, victory <laughs> or clutched, fa clutched failure out of the jaws of victory. Um, there was a gas shortage, an oil shortage, and they could no longer press records as my record was just starting to take off and it was all over the radio. I thought, oh man, this was so easy. My first record's a big hit. And when a record cannot be in, you know, there was no internet, obviously, so you had to be able to have records made of oil, from vinyl made of oil, in the record store to sell records. And uh, after three, four months of, of a vinyl shortage, um, your record's gone. It's too late to reissue. Uh, they tried, and that was over. So it was back to the drawing board, make another record. Wow. And I made two more for that company, and there were different stories of insanity and, and cheating and tax tax fraud and all sorts of weird stuff went on. <laughs> and uh, I've definitely out of seen that. it all. Yeah. And I got out of that. And that's uh, when I, I did get married. A couple of other things happened. Uh, but I, I got I married Rose's mom. We had a baby. That's what I'm preaching in in uh, in New York, and um and this all happens. The rest of it, the next records happen in the wake of losing Rose's mom after uh, getting together with John Bon Jovi. Which again, after that initial call from that guy, I wound up sending, uh, telling me John Bon Jovi's a big fan. He wants to know if you have any music. If you do. He'd like, he might be at this concert tomorrow night. He wants you to come. Your name will be at Will Call. So I, I take this cassette of these songs that I think no one is ever going to hear. And I, uh, and I go to the Brendan Byrne Arena to see Whitesnake. Whitesnake, I'm not a fan. And uh, I'm in the front row. Bon Jovi doesn't show up, but his guy does show up. And I give the guy the cassette. And uh, I thought, well, that's the end of that. I'll never hear anything because I have this idea that nothing good really can ever happen again this is just another tease because a lot of that had happened over my career and um nothing did happen for a year and a half nothing happened and then i'm down in nashville like i just told you the story of my first trip to nashville for the summer and by the end of the summer i was i, I had maybe another week left to my stay here um and a bunch of promises that if i moved down here i'd have a job but I couldn't move my daughter down here without a job writing songs. And they weren't going to pay me any real money. It was going to be a few hundred dollars a week, but I would do it for that. And uh, while I'm down here, it's a year and a half after I sent Bon Jovi the cassette through the sky. Um, I get a phone call in the house I'm staying, and uh, it's from another friend who meets Bon Jovi in a bar, which is crazy, another guy who was in my band, the bass player this time. 
and Bon Jovi that John sang him the ver the chorus to my song Power Windows at the bar. He said, "You know Billy Falcon, right? You used to be in Billy's band because John used to sneak into clubs to see my band when he was too young to be there." Huh. And uh, the guy says, "Yeah, I heard, I knew that song." And and John tells him, "Can you get a hold of Billy because I want to talk to him?" And uh, lo and behold, I get another call in Nashville. This guy tracks me down, and Bon Jovi wants to talk to me. So I, that night, I called John. He answers the phone. It sounded like me on the other end of the phone. He had the same tone, his voice, his cadence. Every, it sounded like I was talking to myself. And uh, he was very sweet. And he said, look, I'm going out to a movie. I just have to say, these are the best songs I've heard in the longest time, I can tell you. And uh, I'm your biggest fan. So if you have anything else, send it to me. <laughs> so the next morning I woke up and I sent him a bunch of songs. And he said, and call me. Uh, we'll talk next week. And uh, it was a week a week later. I'm going. I have to go back to New York um, to take put Rosie in school. It was right around uh, late in August, and uh, I had had a meeting, and um, still hadn't had a deal. But I was getting all these promises, and the one company that was making the biggest promises asked me to come back uh, the next day. I had a meeting, so I go home. I'm gonna have one more meeting with them uh, on Friday, and Saturday I drive back to New York with no deal, with nothing, uh, but promises. And I'm, I'm dying to see my baby. I'm dying to see my daughter, but I'm going home with nothing, you know, but I love Nashville. I fell in love with the town and the people here. And uh, I walk in the home I'm staying in and the child, uh, the 16 year old son of the, the folks I'm staying with is on the carpet in the living room with his uh, girlfriend and they're in bathing suits because it was like a hundred degrees out and they were at the pool. And when I walk in, they go, you got five messages from Bon Jovi. <laughs> and I hit a button and it's John sounding kind of frantic saying, uh, uh, is Billy Falcon there? This is John Bon Jovi calling for Billy Falcon. And his manager called and it had to be three or four or five calls between the two of them. So that day I called John and, and uh, he, his first question was, what the are you doing in Nashville? Notice I edited the curse. What the are you doing in Nashville? And I explained to him that Nashville is not what you think it is. It's a place where a song is reverenced. And nobody here, nobody in New York cared about a guy with a wooden guitar and a bunch of songs. But here they do. Here they hear my songs and they, they sit up and they go, wow, yeah, we're going to do this in five years. These will be country songs. I'm going, I know it's 10 years. <laughs> I ain't got 10 years. Um, John says, uh, said, what do you want? And I said, I want to make a record. And he said, come home. I can do that. I said, well, I, uh, he says, I'll send you a plane ticket. He thought I lived here. <laughs> I'll send you a plane ticket uh, and come up, have dinner with me and my wife. And I said, you don't have to. I'm driving home tomorrow. So he said, call me when you get back. We'll have dinner next week. And the following week, uh, I'm at Bon Jovi's house with him, his wife, his manager at the dinner table. And he's the Bon Jovi, the rock star with the hair down to his chest. His, his shirt is open. And he's got a hairy chest, he's got chains around his neck and four earrings in each ear. He's, he's as pretty as the day is long. <laughs> and his, his wife was lovely, so sweet. And his manager was one of the funniest men I've ever met. And we have dinner. I remember what we ate even. And uh, it was, I was just like, this is so surreal. I'm sitting with Bon Jovi, who I didn't know much about. It wasn't my, my, my kind of music. It was more metallic, what he did, you know. But it was so odd and... and uh, we retired to the drawing room, which is discovered. It's a room with like a 30 foot ceiling. It was his first big house. Right? And he had platinum records, at least a hundred platinum records, wall, a floor to ceiling, platinum records. And I'm sitting in this room going, what am I doing here? Uh, 
Andy Warhol drawings of him and his wife between the records. I'm going, this is nutty. And uh, he hands me a guitar. He says, sing for me. Sing, you know, play a little. And I played like four songs. And at that point, he said, shut up, I hate you. Just like that. <laughs> shut up, I hate you. And his manager handed me a record contract. And I'm going, what the heck? This is not the music business I know. The music business I know, it would take another six months and then it would be a no. Uh, sorry, the deal didn't work out. And three months later, I was in the studio with a, a band of rock stars, uh, John Bon Jovi producing. Uh, Don Henley's producer was the co-producer and, and the greatest California band you could afford, uh, money could buy, um, to make the record uh, that saved my life, which was called Pretty Blue World. Pretty Blue World, yeah. yeah. All right. And before I move on, um, the, the burning rose is not Rose Falcon, not the same no, rose. No, no. You see, my mom's name was Rose. Her mom's name ah. was Rose. And this was long before Rosie was born. That was my Yeah, name. that's what yeah, I that just assessed. Okay. And, you know, I was just trying to be a dramatic. I was being as dramatic as I could be. <laughs> I love it. That's great. And it's ironic because that's your daughter's name. But now I know your mom and your grandma. Uh, so tell us your daily show, Never Surrender. Uh, is that only on YouTube? We're on YouTube, Rumble, uh, X, and uh, Facebook. <laughs> Good ones. Okay. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I started doing it probably about seven years ago. It got more serious about four years ago when the world seemed to be turned upside down. Um, and I, I started, I've never been a political animal at all, and I probably still ain't, but I'm a freedom animal. I, I love uh, the idea of freedom. And so I started writing songs, and the, probably one of the first ones I wrote that uh, kind of hit that uh, the high note with that world, the world of the truthers and all that stuff was a song called Never Surrender. And, uh, um, yeah, which kind of blew up, and suddenly I had an audience. And so there's probably seven, uh, almost 18,000 subscribers, and YouTube doesn't like me at all because I lean uh, to freedom, and I lean to uh, freedom of speech, <laughs> and I don't like what I see in the world uh, going on. And I'm, I'm vocal about it, but I don't get too caught up in it because I, I think we're living in a time where there's so much information uh, and you don't know, it's getting to the point, and I almost think God is doing this. He's going like this, hands off. God is going, okay, you got the ball, man. I gave you free will. You decide what you're going to do with it. And for, uh, man has come up with the internet, and man has come up with AI now, right? And the answer to any question is available at the click of a finger, right, on the phone or on the computer keyboard. And it's gotten to the point now with all the crosstalk that we don't know who's good anymore. We don't know what's right. We don't know what's wrong. And I, I daily I hear this person that everybody esteems is evil, really evil. And this person that we thought was evil is bad. And then and equally powerful people in the, in the press and all this are, are, it's getting to the point where words don't mean anything anymore. Oh, there's a video of that guy doing that. Oh, it ain't real, the video. Oh, is it real? And there's a picture of him. And so we don't know anything. It's like inside out babble. And the only word that matters is God's word. And that's what it's, hopefully that's where it goes. Because the world is in a state of division. And, and the enemy is driving that nail every day a little more. He's trying to divide, divide us by race, by sexual preference, by uh, you name it trying to by political preference uh when the truth is we're not we're not that different people are not yeah. and jew and christian and black and white we don't hate the, one another not the demons racism. are running there, wild there is Absolutely. racism in the world there is separation to a degree but they have driven this thing to separate us because separated 
a house divided against itself cannot stand, and they want to keep us separated. And uh, that's what I do what I do for. But I try to, I, I, my, my message on my channel is Jesus heals. That's the biggest part of it. The world needs healing. They need, it needs emotional healing. It needs spiritual healing, and it needs physical healing. And people get healed when we contend for their healing. It isn't magic. Amen. It's not magic, but Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So if he is, that's what the Bible says. That's where I stake my claim. That's my only truth. Um, that's not babble. You see, the world is, I don't know what, you know, depending on where the, what the folks are looking at, but on my channel, the folks are looking at a lot of this truth, the Q thing, and then this thing, and then that thing. No one knows who's good anymore. Alex Jones is bad. Alex Jones is good. He works for the CIA, and it just gets to the point, oh, my God, is there anybody? That, is there anybody? Am I me is what it comes down to. Am I actually me? Um, I am. Here's the matter. <laughs> Do you think Nashville is changing, or is it still the best place for young music makers? Oh, I don't know. Um, I feel bad for anybody starting out in the industry because the industry is whacked. Uh, it, it's become a, a friend of mine had just put a single out and, and it's called TikTok Stolen. I don't know what it's called actually, but the, one of the lyrics is TikTok has stolen my career. Um, it's not music that matters so much anymore. And there's plenty of great music still. There's plenty of great talent out there. Uh, what matters is your social media profile and record companies, uh, the FBI thing, which is a band I have with a couple of two South African fellows, which is absolutely uh, hit after hit song. This I know. I've been doing this too long not to know it. John Bon Jovi heard it and he said, "Billy, this is amazing. This is this stuff is huge. It's Christian music, but it's it's not not like any other Christian music." Uh, recently uh, played it, uh, sent it to uh, uh, somebody at a, one of the big Christian labels. He wrote me back, and he said, "I had a connection to that. Uh, it's like I I can get to see whoever I want to see. Uh, people will talk to me, and uh." He writes back, this music is amazing. Tell me more about the band. This is this music is amazing. Tell me more about the band. So I write him the story of how the band comes to be the band. And it's a very kind of fascinating, interesting story, a God story. And instead of him saying, why don't you come in and let's sit down and talk? He says, okay, keep me in the loop. <laughs> what does that mean? You're the record company. <laughs> keep you in the... But that's the record business. So, but if I had you know, a hundred million followers on TikTok or whatever the number is. Uh, you wouldn't need them. They would be talking to, you know, they would be, no, well, you wouldn't need them. And that's when they want to talk to you. And right. that's when they want to do something. So it's not about the music as much as it used to be. It is for the people, but people don't get the music because the record companies aren't interested unless there's a social media profile. And the easiest way to do that is what? In the flesh. You get some girl and you put, or some guy, and you put them in the right clothes and they're sexy and you sell sex or you sell it with some other thing right. that's going to screw people up in the long run. Um, that's the easiest way, right? But uh, So John is celebrating 40 years since his first album. Uh, he's here now, maybe not today, but recording a new one for this rollout or maybe new songs for the rollout. I don't know. Um, is that a legendary studio that he chose in Tennessee? And, oh, um, you know, the other new, he's the other New Jersey guy besides you and Springsteen. So why is he here? Steve, that might be sure. prophetic what you just said. <laughs> you said, is that a legendary studio? Well, the record we, we, uh, he, they made the record at, um, the church down there. What's that? What's the name of the church? Uh, the curb studio. It's the church. It's called, what is it called? Whatever it is. It's an old church. I can't yeah. think of it. 
Um, Not the Ryman, but something else. No, it's it's an old. It's a great room. It's a great studio. They made the last one there too, and it's cool. Uh, I brought John to Nashville, so I take the credit for John. He when we got done making my first record, he didn't understand Nashville. He used to come here and, and escape because he thought it was a cowboy town, a country western town. Like Al Capone did, he, yeah. When he he wanted to see it through my eyes, because I, I raved about Nashville. I said I wanted to live here. He says, "Well, when we finish the record, you you have to take me to Nashville. Show me why you like it." And we came down here and spent two weeks like tearing this town, turning the town on its head, because John was a rock star then, and the town was not used to that. They went nuts. They were mute. They were like TV vans with cameras on the roof everywhere we went. It was it was so funny. Anyway, so he has a oh go ahead, but so. Uh, the new record has uh, been recorded. We, it's done. It was done. It was finished about three months ago here. And uh, I got to spend a bunch of time. I got to bring my grandbabies in and, and John hung out with them, which was really sweet. Uh, and the single was announced yesterday. And the single is called, ready, wait for it, Legendary. Legendary. Okay. And you just said a legendary. And it's probably the best record I'm on with him. Uh, over the last 25 years it's a really, ah so that's really good, i wanted to ask good. you that so he's got his docuseries coming out thank you good night premieres oh, in it's, april it's, to celebrate the band's 40 years hulu has acquired the rights to stream are you in that so yes i think i am i, I actually the day i went up to write he called me do you want to come up and write and i think the reason they wanted to write he wanted to write was to get me in the video and i was sick <laughs> oh. and um and I really wanted to write, so I uh, I pulled myself together and I told my body I was healed and I was able to go because that's what I do. I don't get sick, and I don't uh, I don't make myself a cup of tea and invite the sickness to cuddle up with me. I say no, you go, I stay, and that's what I did. And I went, and I was kind of healed. I went down there. I still didn't feel a hundred percent, but I felt like eighty five. And we wrote a song, and the crew was there, and they were filming. <laughs> but I, if I'm in it, I look awful. I know that, as handsome as I am in real life. Um, <laughs> very yeah, handsome. Very so handsome. I am in it somewhere, I believe. Um, okay. And you are creating your own rock opera of sorts, uh, Wild Ride, about you. Uh, will that be on Hulu on one day two, like Daisy Jones and the Six? What, what, tell we us about that. We have no idea, Steve. Well, the people don't know. Steve has helped me a bit with this a lot, actually. He was one of the folks early on that heard what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I took full disclosure. Story. I'm helping. Well, huh? Full disclosure. Steve. I'm helping. Yes. 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 You're helping. <laughs> um, he's a very helpful fellow. Steve's a great man. Um, he's oh. one of the finest, sweetest people, nicest men I've met in the last little bit. Anyway. Wow. Um, so it's something uh, I, I written. A, I write scripts. I, I, I've learned to use a camera and do all this excitement and edit film and all that. And I make my videos and all that uh, as unsophisticated as they are. And some, they could get pretty sophisticated too. Um, but I've been writing scripts for a while now. And the one big script I wrote, I finished probably six years ago. And it was too big to make because it, it covered 25 years. It was the story of my life. And the only reason I would write the story of my life was because to show uh, the miracles that God pulled off in my life. Uh, he took me from a place where I really felt like I was being buried alive to living a life um, that I would think uh, my life, the way I get to live it now, is, would be, I think, should be the envy of billionaires because I am free. I'm free to come and go as I please, work when I want to work, not work when I want to work. I love to work, so I work. Um, 
but it, I, he he somehow pulled uh, a rabbit out of the hat in my life, and better than a rabbit. Uh, my life after my wife died, four years later, I did not recognize it to the point of I felt some guilt like she died and I got this amazing life. And part of it was she passed away. And like I said before, when she passed away, God took the colors on my palette as a songwriter and he made them richer and deeper and more powerful um, to the point where people would sometimes hear the songs and tell me the song healed somebody. And I, mm. it's not me at all. It's it's the spirit of God, the anointing of God on a song. I take no credit. He gets all the glory. My songs come to me uh, or they don't. And if they come to me and I'm listening, uh, I write them down and uh, I tweak them. And hopefully he tweaks them with me. But I truly believe he stirs the gift. He gives me songs that I get to give away. God doesn't give a gift for me. He gives it for he gives you a gift for you to give away. Like he it's gives beautiful. us money to put in motion, not to sit on it. And your daughter grew up and all that. Your only child, right? She mm -hmm. turns forty in May, just the same time as the four that years of that album. You saying that, but thank yeah, you I probably that. shouldn't. Sorry, you Rose. Anyway, that. <laughs> and she but did she did, did she get the singing bug and writing career from all that? Well, yeah, she. Uh, Rosie used to sleep in my guitar case because the place we, oh, that's we awesome. lived in was so small. I so, want to see pictures of that. Oh, there there are. I'm sure she's she's played in um, what the plush guitar case would sit on the floor. I'd write songs. Her mom would be doing somebody's hair because she was a hairdresser, and I'd be sitting on the bed singing, and Rosie'd be crawling around in a guitar case. Um, but anyway, so that's what the, the wild ride thing is is uh, uh, something. Uh, the script was sitting there, and God whispered to me about eight months ago, "Do something," and uh, and He told me I should do it audio. So I, I basically have made an episodic, uh, it'll be 12. I'm doing 11 as we speak. I have 10 done. And uh, at, the end of the, at the end of it, it'll be 12 episodes and it'll be the whole script, like a movie, every nuance, every sound. Uh, I'm doing all the voices, as you know, Steve. And um, yeah. I, I can't wait done. to see it on the screen. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, the, the, the dream is, the prayer is to uh, either have it as an episodic show, cable show, or uh, a feature uh, full right. and Rose was kind enough to sing live on my Christmas show with her husband. Uh, you were kind enough to introduce us. Uh, I wasn't crying. Steve, the producer was crying. Aww. I wasn't, uh, but, uh, anyway, Mary, anyway, um, you are nonstop. So what do you, uh, else are you working on? Uh, and I, and I know I don't want to run out of time with you, but you influenced John Bon Jovi. You can just hear it. Your Long Island neighbors, you know, Blue Oyster Cult, maybe, I don't know, Billy Joel. Who influenced you? Oh, none, none of those guys. Uh, more like, I would think, the, the singer-songwriters as a kid, uh, Neil Young, Cat Stevens, um, the Beatles. Uh, I wouldn't have had a guitar. If it wasn't for the Beatles, I would have never picked up a guitar, probably. As far as I know, it was seeing the Beatles was the first. And then musically, the influence was always people that sang songs uh, that made me think, made me cry, made me laugh. Um, Bob Dylan. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, singer Jackson Brown, those kind of guys. Um, and then there were bands like Thin Lizzy and uh, that kind of stuff that I really liked. Whiskey um, in the Jaro. Um, yeah. You're a grandpa now. Uh, I, I saw you singing with Rye on your show. I think it was yesterday or the day before. He plays yeah, yeah, a mean yeah. tambourine. 
Are you getting them ready for fame next too? Well, uh, no, that would be Rhodes and Rodney's choice and, and decision. But the boys are going to be amazing. They're amazing little guys and the love of my life. Um, as every pop pop and grandma would probably say about their grandbabies. But those two little guys are unbelievable. I never imagined I'd, I'd, I'd be this guy because I would rather spend time with them than any Marty. I mean, they are and they're driving nuts too because they're two little boys and they can be wild. But you saw Ryan the other night. He was keeping perfect time. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got it down. It's going to happen. Um, okay, so Billy has co-written over 50 songs recorded by Bon Jovi, including Just Older, Last Man Standing, Everybody's Broken, When We Were Beautiful, Superman Tonight, and This House Is Not For Sale. Any fun writing sessions that stand out we can record for posterity? And then I want to hear you say. You asked me a question. What, what, what was that, Steve? I'm sorry. Uh, any fun writing sessions with him that stand out in your mind that we can record oh, on the show gosh. for posterity? Um, hmm. Well, the most fun I think I had writing with John, one of the craziest things was uh, he was over in Malta making a, a movie called, a submarine movie, B189 or something like that, Matthew McConaughey. U571. Okay, that's what it was. And uh, With Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, and then Harvey Keitel and a bunch of yeah. the uh, Bill, not Bill Pack. Bill Pack's a nice man, and he passed away. Yeah, um, and and I get a call from John, who's over there. He was trying to be an he was an actor at the time, and he he called me and said, "Billy, uh, can you come to Malta? I'm bored to tears." And uh, I'm going, I guess I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> sure. He, you know, he used to. He's the guy normally. Now he's got a bit part in a movie, and he's sitting around for a week waiting to say, "Hey, over here," or something <laughs> like that. I don't know, or waiting to die because I think they killed him in the movie. Um, so I said, "Sure." So they set me up. I fly over. To, I'm, I'm in Malta, and uh, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. We wrote a bunch of songs over there, and that was the record that came out that kind of uh, sold 10 million copies. I had five songs on it. So that changed my life. That was the first time I actually made real money in the music business. And then the government comes in with right, a big so right away. <laughs> so you've also written for Faith Hill and Meatloaf, just so people know. Um, there's a website, Classic Rock History, 10 Essential Billy Falcon Songs. Number one that they list was Heaven's Highest Hill, mm -hmm. which is off your Pretty Blue World album. Um, you agree with that? And and, and that's, the, that's, your, that's your biggest? Or do you have you another gonna, favorite? And what are you going to sing for us? I don't know. You know what? I could sing. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to sing. What would you like? I, I guess I could uh, sing. do a melody. Do a do. No, or what I do you call sing, it? A, I don't want to. I don't want to sing medley. A medley. I could sing Heaven's Highest Hill for you. you. Want that? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I haven't sung that in a while. This is a song I wrote. Uh, it's in the. It's in in the show in the Wild Ride. Um, it was the mor morning after Rose's mom passed away. And um, I knew, uh, waking up, I knew uh, that my daughter was going to come running down the hall asking, when are we going to go see Mama? Because the night before, she saw her Mama. And I knew we weren't going back there. And I was dreading having to tell my daughter that we weren't going to see her Mama again. Um, could you imagine? And I was, it was the hardest moment of my life. And um, lo and behold, here comes those little footsteps down the hallway to my bedroom. And she comes in the room and she says, Daddy, we're going to see Mama now. And I sit her on my lap and I tell her, um, you can imagine what I told her. And I read her a, a passage from Thessalonians and I told her we're going to see her again. Um, but before she came down the hall, 
words started coming in my head. This is what God does. And uh, I started writing them down on a yellow legal pad and tears were hitting the page and the water and the, and the ink was running on the page. I remember as I wrote these first couple of lines and I even um, I was aware enough to think this is weird that I'm writing now, but this is what I do and it's what I've always done. Um, so I wrote this song then um, about the difficulty of the moment and the hope in the moment. Had to tell my baby mama's not coming home Had to tell myself I'll be staying alone Oh, I can't stop crying She'll say, Daddy, I want to hold her, want to see her again Want to kiss her, want to touch her Oh, what can I say? So do I Oh, Mama I'm missing you real bad But it don't do me no good Sitting thinking about what we had Love don't stop It goes on forever Love don't stop And it never will Love don't stop one day we'll be together Love don't stop And one day we'll One day we'll sing this song to you Someday on heaven's highest hill How am I gonna look into those big brown eyes When she wakes up crying out in the middle of the night For mama, how will I make it better? The house is full of people, but nobody's home. Everybody's here, but I'm all alone. Calling out your name, but there's no answer. Oh, mama, last night you told me not to cry. I swear I see you every time she smiles. on forever Love don't stop And it never will Love don't stop One day we'll be together Love don't stop And I'll sing this song to you someday On heaven's highest hill you hear me sometimes I'd like to think you do all the things we've been fighting for I'm gonna make them all come true in these arms they ache to hold you and I know one day I will I'll meet you in the tall grass I'll meet you in the tall grass I'll meet you in the tall grass up on heaven's highest hill. Love don't stop, it goes on forever. 
That was phenomenal. Thank you so much, Billy. Wow. Uh, thank you for your time and doing this for us. Um, sadly, we are at the end here. So tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you, follow your social media. You, you mentioned a few things, but just rattle them off real quick so people can rush out and get your album. The YouTube channel, and you could see us live Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday evening around 630, 6.45. Uh, hit the bell if you really want to know. It's called Billy Falcon Music is the name of the channel. And then the, the website uh, for the music is billyfalcon.com. And if people want the music and can't afford it, you could just take it digitally or you can give whatever you want. You could pay whatever you want. Amazing. We Amazing. We well, thank you. Me. I'm so glad I met you. So blessed to have you on the show today. Um, hope to have you on back back again one day. God bless you guys. Um, thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. <laughs> thank you, Steve. God bless you guys. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard, dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof, look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com Very nice, producer Steve. Some new music. All right, keeping it fresh. We're not even at 200 yet. Thank you for that. Uh, talk in Tennessee. So, welcome to our Steve and Steve segment of the show. Producer Steve, what did you think of our guest, Billy Falcon? Oh, I uh, I had a wonderful time listening to him, and that was a very emotional Steve there at um, just him singing a song about the, his life and uh, about the the loss of his wife and everything. And we had a really good conversation actually off air, which is not on the show. But um, what a what a interesting man he he lived the rock style, the rock life. He's spent a lot of years making big bucks, and now he's really focused the last fifteen years of his life dedicated one hundred percent to the Lord and helping other people. And you said he runs a church out of his home, or at least his his teaching and stuff. Is that correct? ministry online you go to youtube uh see uh um never surrender um i think he's off rushing rushing off to produce one for tonight so yeah it's live and you can chat and it's it's really great 
Um, he's been a great friend to me, great guy to meet. Obviously, he was instrumental in me making friends with Rose Falcon, who was able to bring her husband, Rodney Atkins, who's a huge hit maker uh -oh. on our show for Christmas. So it's a very, um, very wonderful family. And I'm blessed to know them. And I never would have done it if I stayed in Washington State and uh, lived happily ever after. So Tennessee is paying all kinds of dividends all the time. Well, it's, um, and it's we're becoming like the Barbara Walters of podcasting. We have so many people come on here making <laughs> us cry. I mean, we got to have some happy stories once in a while. But well, the I... story is actually very happy. And that song was great. Well, and I and I was reminded that um, I was like, I know this Billy Falcone. I met him before we, and, and I introduced him to you right at the same time you were meeting him, and by phone I said, this is somebody Steve needs to talk to, because I had talked to him and heard his story, and uh, this is many, many, many months ago, and um, I said, you need to talk to Steve. He's down there in Nashville. He's a mover shaker. At least he knows people. And I, I said, Steve, here's it. And then you got back and said, I just met him. And so yeah. it was very... A week earlier. And, yeah. And I started working for him on his uh, project and he discussed uh, his little series. So, well, this show is a bit running long, so we got to do what we got to do. Um, uh, so stay tuned for my last quotes of this week. This is Christian Irvin from the Semper Grati Project, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Hi, this is Jack Maxwell, host of the new show, American Homecoming, which helps our vets. You're listening to Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. It's Tennessee West, yeah. All right. Well, we could just leave it right there as a quote, but it is time for my quotes for the day. Before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe, a little business to do here, to the Mill Creek View podcast so you can hear more things like Billy Falcon singing live. Oh, my goodness. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View and hit the subscribe button. And I really hope you like it. And you can join the conversation at Mill Creek View on Twitter, where you can also see Full Surrender, um, Never Surrender, sorry, by Billy, and Facebook anytime. It's easy to say I love you to someone, but it's more meaningful to thank someone for loving you. Success is falling nine times and getting up ten. Don't get too comfortable with who you are at any given time. You may miss the opportunity to become who you want to be. Nothing is as important as passion. No matter what you want to do with your life, be passionate. The world doesn't need any more gray. On the other hand, we can't get enough color. Mediocrity is nobody's goal, and perfection shouldn't be either. We'll never be perfect, but remember these three Ps. Passion plus persistence equals possibility. Who's the math genius there? I'll tell you in a second. Miracles happen every day. Change your perception of what a miracle is, and you'll see them all around you. John Bon Jovi. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Billy Falcon, for reminding us when Rock was young and that Jesus saves. This is goodbye for now. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. See y'all next week. God willing and the creek don't rise. Peace in our time and definitely glory to God.
is a prescription that no doctor can prescribe. Can't walk on water, down on your knees. You ain't a number, step right up, the stuff is guaranteed. Ain't got the fever, fever got me. No need to call an ambulance, we got the remedy. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.